hard to move at that pace if you're dragging a bunch of legacy architecture along with you. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Payment Innovations Podcast by Currency Cloud. My name is Kara Hayward, and I'm the North America Banking Lead for the company, focused on uh, providing superior international banking options for community and regional banks as well as credit unions. I have on the podcast today Ralph Marcaselli and Kelly Schultz uh, from Allied Payment Network. Ally is a digital experience-focused payment technology company focused on serving community banks and credit unions, doing some really exciting stuff in the bank technology space. So welcome, Ralph and Kelly. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so first, I want to just uh, do some introductions here. You know, you both have had long careers in, in the banking space and specifically in bank technology. And so I'd love for you each to maybe give a, a, a quick overview of, of, of who you are, your career, your roles at Allied, and then tell us a little bit about the company in more detail as well. Ralph, do you want to start? <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, uh, happy to be here, Kara, and just kind of a, a little background on me. I spent uh, 20 years in banking at a community bank and left uh, about 10 years ago to start up Allied and really saw an opportunity in fintech to deliver technology to community banks and credit unions that, you know, a lot of times an institution is not able to do in-house. And uh, so we've been in business now for a little over nine years and uh, happy to have a number of different products that we've brought out that are really kind of leading edge in a number of different areas. We start out really in this bill pay, but have kind of expanded that into some other areas of payments. So happy to be here and uh, talk a little bit about Allied and some of the technology that we bring to community banks and credit unions. Kelly? Yeah, so thanks again, Kara, for having us today. Uh, delightful to talk with you. And um, I've been running around the space also for about 20 years, but from a different angle. So I'm not a banker. I've never been a banker, but I have uh, been working with community banks and credit unions and the uh, network of financial service providers that serve them for about 20 years as well. And it's it's really become a passion of mine to figure out how to help uh, community banks and credit unions thrive in an increasingly competitive landscape where, where the threats are, you know, coming from all around. Threats I don't think are any longer the big banks for the community banks and credit unions, I think those are coming from outside. And so my background has really been been spent trying to help community banks and credit unions position themselves to overcome the headwinds from outside the industry. And so Allied is a big piece of that. The digital experience, I do believe, is the front-running component of that. And so kind of dedicated my career, um, you know, to, to trying to figure out how to ensure that the banking landscape that I think makes America so unique not only survives, but thrives. Fantastic. Love that story. And I, I think that, Ralph, you picked a good name, Allied, right? You guys are absolutely allies to the community banks and credit unions in this space. So, Ralph, you mentioned, you know, founding Allied Payment Network after being a banker about 10 years ago. 
Can you talk a little bit about the, the transformation of the company since the beginning? So kind of what was your vision for the company at the beginning and um, how have you been able to deliver upon it despite some of the rapid changes in the industry in this time period? You know, 10 years ago, I don't even think iPhones had come out yet, if I can recall correctly. So uh, if you could <laughs> chat a little bit about that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Great question. And, you know, 10 years ago, you're right, was right about the time the iPhone came out. So really started the company, you know, wanting to deliver bill payment in a much more efficient manner. I I spent uh, spent time at the bank and really saw the value that bill pay brought to a bank relationship or bank or credit union relationship and how, you know, that customer that uses the bill pay really relied on that financial institution as, as their primary institution. So what uh, we saw happening as, as we kind of kicked off the company and started selling bill pay as we saw mobile, you know, start to uh, start to build and the iPhones and Androids. And what we saw is, you know, one of the biggest hurdles to bill pay adoption or getting customers to use bill pay was setting up payees. So typing in Verizon and the address and that big long account number. And that was really cumbersome even on a keyboard. And so as we're looking at that thinking, wow, if that's difficult on a keyboard, put a put an iPhone in somebody's hands and it's really going to be impossible to do or very, very difficult. So it makes the hurdle even bigger than it was at the time. And so that's when we came up with the concept of picture pay. And picture pay is really about using your camera to input your bill or information. So you just snap a picture the bill and it could be a, a bill that you got in the mail or it could even be a bill that you have on the screen. And with that, we developed a technology to read the information off of that bill and set up Verizon and enter that address and enter the account number. So the camera in effect became the input device. And, you know, that was a result of having an iPhone and having a camera in your hand. And so that was kind of the the thing that we really saw was was something that nobody else had talked about delivering. And so we've been delivering that now to banks and credit unions for for over five years. And that really is kind of one of the uh, basis of our of our product is giving people the ability to enter payments however they want. If they want to do it on the desktop, they can do it that way. If they want to do it on a phone, they can do it that way. So we just try to give them as many options as they can. Talking a little bit more, you know that was that was kind of revolutionary when that was introduced, and then we've had a number of other innovations over the last few years. We had a real-time person-to-person payment, kind of a competing product to a Venmo of the world, where somebody at another institution can receive money in real time. We also had a, an account-to-account transfer product that does real-time validation of external accounts. So then working really hard on removing this delay that banks are generally fighting against because of our kind of our legacy payment systems that we have, which is ACH. So, you know, we continue to do that across uh, a number of different products. And, you know, the thing we're working on right now is real-time payments to a biller. So we can get money out of a checking account and get it to a biller in in literally a, a matter of seconds. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you guys have really built the company to be able to quickly adopt new technologies and implement those at um, you know, community banks and credit unions, which I think 
you know, oftentimes sometimes get a bad rap for moving kind of slowly. Can you maybe just elaborate on that? How A, you've been able to to adapt new technology so quickly and B, how um, how you've been able to work with community banks and credit unions to get that um, implemented in a relatively quick amount of time. Sure. Kelly, you want to take that? Sure, sure. So I think um, I think Kara, it starts with, you know, Allied was born in the cloud. So it that pure, um, you know, starting point gives us an advantage out the gate when it comes to how fast we can deliver new technology, how quickly we can enable that technology for our financial institutions, and then, you know, how quickly we can continue to advance it even once implemented. So it's very important, you know, to acknowledge that that cloud hosted uh, and born in the cloud kind of uh, foundation for the company. Hard to move at that pace if you're dragging a bunch of legacy architecture along with you. So that's, you know, I think advantage number one. Uh, the second advantage is that from the beginning, Allies' method of, of building platforms or building our solutions has been an API-driven vision. And so as we look at extending our products in different ways and inside of different applications and with different use cases, we um, saw from the beginning that API-driven um, you know, technology consumption was a way to give us lots of flexibility to package things differently and to deliver different experiences uh, running on the same set of rails. And so, you know, we consume our own APIs, and so we make those APIs also available to our partners. And it's not that we want our partners to go and reinvent the bill pay experience per se, but we want them to be able to enrich that experience with kind of a hybrid deployment of our uh, user interfaces and then coupling, you know, some of that API technology in a way that can carry components of that bill paying experience outside the bill payment app itself. So I think it's important to acknowledge just the structure there and that that does allow us to move very quickly. Likewise, it positioned us to be uh, hyper aware of the potential when open banking concepts began, uh, you know, inter being introduced to the marketplace. I've been waiting my whole career for, uh, you know, the core systems and the, you know, like to open up so that we can interact with them. And so Allied being really driven on APIs and consuming its own APIs, a natural extension for us was to be able to partner with the open banking platforms and to, to further extend our technology, uh, you know, stacked by uh, way of theirs. So that allows a lot of just sky's the limit potential in terms of what we can take all of those bits and parts, those Legos, if you will, uh, that are sitting around within the financial service industry and, you know, stack them in a different way to create a new and more helpful experience, whether we're talking about for a consumer or a small business. That's great. Yeah. The best of breed type approach is, um, I think, exactly what this industry needs, right? Um, and that actually segues well. Um, you know, you guys have been at the forefront of so-called putting your money where the mouth is when it comes to API-driven open banking. I think a great recent example of that is the partnership that you guys formed with Nastra through their Fusion Fabric platform. And, and I know, I think you, know, you guys have probably been looking at a lot of different partnerships like that. Can, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that partnership, the benefits it will provide your customers and, um, and sort of the journey that you've taken in, in terms of implementing that? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So Finastra, uh, Finastra kind of took a, a big leap into this open, open banking landscape. And I think it's particularly timely 
we were waiting and, and kind of pushing for that at the same time. So we did spend some time collaborating with the executives at Finastra about some of our vision and how we could, in that open environment, um, you know, create some new experiences that were powerful and, and compelling uh, for consumers to maintain those primary banking relationships with community FIs. So through that collaboration, Finastra, you know, reached the point where they were ready to just go all in on this open banking platform and get it to market quickly. And I have to say, I was frankly quite shocked at how fast they were able to get that to market for such a large organization. So we were uh, standing ready to be the first to help them not only vet the concept, but stand up the initial integration point. We were wanting to use uh, that open banking platform to allow us to write a single code base, be able to move funds from consumer accounts quickly so that we can get the debit side secured of our path to the real-time payment. So if we take a real-time debit plus a real-time credit to the biller, uh, we can we can affect real-time payment experience. And so we were going down that path with the NASCRA to work through that debit side of the equation and were in fact first to market to use FusionFabric.cloud um, to deliver uh, that piece of the experience. So it's very, very important to us to be able to move funds quickly, but the power of the Finastra platform allow us to write one set of code to move funds regardless of the core underneath the platform. And that was huge for us. Speed to market, you know, matters. And these integrations, one at a time per core or per digital banking application, take a lot of uh, engineering time and focus and then ongoing support to maintain them. So, the beauty of what Finastra has done in applying that layer so that we can punch through and access whatever core banking system, you know, the financial institution happens to be using saved us a ton of time and is allowing us to accelerate the pace at which we are rolling out the real-time bill payment experience. That's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And, and, and can you talk a little bit, so, you know, I, my personal belief is that, you know, this is definitely where the future of banking is headed. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, different opinions out there on, you know, what will it actually look like? What's the adoption? How long will it take? Can you talk a little bit about um, either Ralph or Kelly, your views on adoption and, and how we get sort of, you know, our very diversified banking you know, industry in the U.S. to adopt more of these open banking type models? I think that my perspective is it has to start with the community financial institution understanding the value and, you know, the value of the open banking platform. So we can talk best of breed in the traditional sense, but I think this is so much bigger than that. It's, it's really about how does a community financial institution who really thrives by way of serving a niche market on, you know, certain specific, uh, you know, needs of their local communities and doing that in a way that allows them to differentiate themselves. You know, I, I like to say we had kind of chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry when it came to a digital banking experience in the U.S. I mean, if you went to any community financial institution, you would find that there were one of several digital banking experiences, and it was a finite number. This capability allows those financial institutions to extend in a way through partnerships with fintechs or local developers or whoever may best understand and be able to deliver applications that meet the use cases for their particular niche markets. So an example of that on the small business side, 
would be a community financial institution that serves the agriculture market. The ag market may have, um, certainly does have a unique set of needs and, and would, would benefit from having applications that were catering to those needs, but it's not going to make sense for they, uh, you know, any of the large core providers to go out and build those applications because their usage is limited to those niche markets. So this allows for a community financial institution to come in and partner up with technology firms that can deliver that niche experience without having to wait for or, or determine whether it makes sense on a broad scale across the country. So we believe that diversification is the key to keeping that, you know, experience one that a, whether it's a large financial institution, a national financial institution that doesn't understand those niche markets, or whether it's, you know, a fintech threat from outside, uh, you know, Google or an Amazon or a PayPal, the community financial institutions understand their markets best, and they know what needs are not being well served. And if they're able to use these open banking platforms to extend functionality to better serve the audiences that they so well understand, we think that positions them for long-term success. So I think that the community financial institution's first move is to get it. The second move is to make sure that they're operating in a core environment and a digital environment that not only speaks it, but lives it in the way of open banking. And then to be bold enough to go out there and, and put a stake in the ground and get that first, um, you know, application that really caters to the audience they serve um, out there and, and functional or those feature sets that they that they need. That's yeah, great. I would just add on that too, kind of the the open platform concept. If we think back ten years ago, as, as we talked about before, Kara, to before Android and iPhone, you know, we'd have to go out and buy software and install it on our machine. And you'd have to go find that software. Having a single place for a financial institution to get an app, whether it's through some sort of store, and having thousands of developers out there developing for that store is what really opened up the iPhone and allowed individuals to download an app that meets their specific needs. The open platform means every bank can go out and fairly easily develop a niche app, as Kelly said, that meets their needs and no longer will we be constrained or financial institutions be constrained by some internet or mobile banking provider deciding which ones they want to integrate with. Really kind of puts the power back to the community financial institution to decide what innovations they want. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I believe Ron Shevlin, um, I've heard him say the platformification of banking, or I think there's several folks that, that use that term out there, but really uh, having that ability to pick and choose based on the true needs of your customers versus a, you know, pre-made menu. <laughs> um, I think that will yeah. be really, really important. So, and one question off the back of that, I think, you know, around the adoption, you know, I, I think fintechs, uh, first of all, one thing that I find interesting is that, you know, no one can agree on what is a fintech because a lot of people think, oh, fintechs are there to get rid of the banks, right? And other people are like, no, 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 a fintech, a lot of them have to partner with banks, right? Um, and there's always a fight. My, my view is that, you know, a fintech or a bank tech, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, absolutely can really get ahead by partnering with these banks and credit unions. 
But I think a lot a lot of these fintechs get a bad rap sometimes when they try to knock on the door of a community uh, bank or credit union, uh, whether it's with regards to their approach, uh, their cost models, you know, their lack of understanding of the you know the compliance space. What uh, what advice would you give? I mean, you guys have seemed to to be at the forefront of this and have obviously there's always ongoing challenges, but you guys have seemed to really um, crack the code when it comes to being a kind of you know open kind of API driven financial technology company that is doing a great job of partnering with these institutions. What advice would you give other fintechs in you know approaching this market? And then perhaps also, I think Kelly, you touched on this advice for bankers too, like. You do have to take a bit of a risk, put that stake in the ground. But any other advice you might have on that side, too, would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, so I think a big mistake that that fintech, traditional sense fintechs, and you're right, the definition is all murky, um, you know, at the end of the day. But I think that the traditional fintech view, which is really um, independent of, of the banking network in general, the challenge there has been that they have kind of come across as a threat and not a partner. And I think that initial communication uh, sets a lot of bankers back. They're not sure whether they're friend or foe. And, you know, my advice to fintech companies or anyone really that's looking to change the way that, you know, consumers interact with payments or banking information, so I'll just really broaden that scope. I, I think that the thing to recognize is that this industry is a very, very complex industry, and they will be best served by joining into some of the organizations that can help them get their sea legs within the industry, understand the concerns and, you know, not just kind of dismiss them uh, for the sake of innovation um, and, and really embrace collaboration within the space. I do believe that we're stronger together. I do believe that this industry has been propelled forward greatly by the collaborative effect of um, many, many of the talented players in this space. And, and I think it's important for fintechs to understand that and to, to participate in that as quickly and as early on as possible so they can avoid some of the pitfalls. You know, I've been an advisor to several fintechs along the way in my career, and I almost always start with, you know, security and compliance conversations. And, you know, you, you need to get off the ground with those things in mind because going back and trying to you know, fix those things later is, is difficult and, and your reputation will matter. It's a, it's an industry built on trust. And so I think building those relationships with others that have the experience in the space and understand those, the delicate balancing act between driving innovation and maintaining compliance and risk control uh, in the banking space is just a really big deal. Ralph, That's would great. you add anything to that? Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, as I was starting, starting allied and getting started, you know, we have those hurdles of compliance, as Kelly mentioned. And, you know, one of the things I heard first was, oh, wow, that sounds sounds good. I really like the, the idea. Why don't you come back and talk to me after you have 100 customers? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just kind of kind of says, get your ducks in order and make sure you have addressed those those compliance concerns. And it is easier today probably than it was was maybe 10 years ago, but um, but those are all important considerations. Yeah, they always say that the magic rule of three, I think, is you can get those first three customers uh, and, and make sure you have your compliance in order. I think that's usually a good, a good groundbreaking for a fintech 
Um, and, and, and also, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a little shameless plug here. And Kelly, I know you're a past president of the Association for Financial Technology, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, joining those organizations that really, you know, bring you together with other industry leaders in the, you know, financial technology space, because it is such a complex industry. I think um, it really is an important thing to do in terms of knowing how all these technologies fit together and the challenges the industry is facing as a whole and really integrating yourself into that industry and that community. So that's great. Yeah. I would love to shift just a little bit because I think a lot of the innovation that has been coming out in the past several years has been very retail focused, which makes a lot of sense, right? That's what I think where a lot of the competition is from a lot of the big techs and other sorts of fintechs out there um, really gaining the consumer's eye and attention. But I think um, oftentimes we, you know, I, I think some of the small businesses and even medium-sized businesses have gotten a little bit left behind. And so the technology has is a little bit lagging, I think, in terms of the experience for those folks. I know that you guys have started um, providing products in that space. Could you agree that sort of the, you know, the SMB space has been, you know, lagging in terms of the focus on technology development? And, and if and if so, you know, what strides are you guys taking to capitalize on that opportunity? Yeah, so uh, I'll jump in on that one. That That is a hot button for me, having been a small business owner numerous times and also on the delivery side of small business products, the market has been behind and has continued to stay behind on understanding and serving those needs. Um, particularly, I think the... Larger commercial businesses may actually be in better shape. It's the the small business owner on that journey to becoming a bigger business that that I think is is really challenged. And we are we are heading down the path of looking to uh, fill some of those those gaps and those experiences. And I know many of our partners are doing the same right now. But I do think it's a very underserved market, and there there is a great deal of opportunity to do a better job there. One key that I think is really important for community financial institutions looking at how to better serve that market is to understand the journey of a business owner and that, you know, businesses um, are started by entrepreneurs who have, you know, personal account needs as well. And often that business account starts out as just a pure retail account. We see it in conversions all the time where uh, small businesses are using a consumer product because they don't want to or can't afford to pay the higher prices yet for um, larger, more robust platforms. That's reason number one. But reason number two is they don't need the large, robust platform. They need something in between. And traditionally in the market, we have had retail and we have had commercial. And this small business gap in the middle, which is really somewhere, you know, it's, it's some retail and some some aspects of commercial, and really it's, it's a journey. It's not really a hard product shift. It's, you know, a small business becomes a slightly bigger business and eventually becomes a mid-sized business. And these business owners need the capability to enable functionality a little at a time as they grow. And so I think single platform between retail and small business is really an important concept. What you don't want is your small business to start on a retail platform and then have to be converted and lose all their history as they move, you know, and grow up as a business. So, you know, ideally we would pave that growth pathway for them nicely so that they can just add modules and functionality as they grow their business and their needs change. 
Uh, and I think we've, we've kind of missed that as an industry. I know a lot of people are working on it. I haven't seen it done particularly well yet. We're looking to jump in and do our part to try to change that. That's great. And I think especially, I mean, you know, you, we were talking about the open banking and the platformification of banking earlier. You know, I think the way that we've built this industry is very much, again, a one size fits all menu. But the more that we have that modular capability, the more we'll be able to shift in that direction, which I think will be an interesting transformation for sure. Well, I was just going to say, if you think about that in, in terms of like in-app purchases or apps that build on the functionality of a primary app, I really think there's a vision there for these small businesses to be able to pull down modules and, and, you know, adopt a plug-in, if you will, for their digital banking application that deals with this particular need that they have. Yeah, I would just add also that, as you mentioned, Kara, the kind of the, the open banking means more and more people can connect and use their information that their bank has. If you think about, you know, Intuit QuickBooks and they've got a market They've got a store now where you can buy apps that use data that's in QuickBooks. Same type of thing is going to happen if, you know, a, a small business customer is able to access their data with their, their programmer they've got on staff and pull that history. Then all of a sudden it starts maturing quickly. And I think we'll, we'll see a lot of those gaps filled with products for uh, small and medium-sized businesses. Fantastic. And on that note, I know talking, shifting a little bit towards, you know, what we do at Currency Cloud, you know, we see that the world is continuing to become even more interconnected, right? And um, I just want curious, have you guys seen demand from any of your S&D customers to provide a more global uh, experience? Or do you think they're still kind of focused on optimizing their domestic experience when it comes from a banking perspective? Hmm. You know, I, I think we don't have enough information to fully answer that question yet, Kara, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that you're, you know, if you're a small business owner, your first set of needs is how do I deal with my day-to-day, you know, business? And if we address that, you know, just basic need of the business, then we allow them to start, you know, becoming more efficient in those processes and opening their minds to how they can expand their business give them some of that time back, perhaps mobilize the experience better so that as they're on the go, they're managing that business more effectively throughout the day. And, you know, I think that all of those things enable businesses to grow faster. So uh, when it when it comes to driving the overall economy and really opening up, you know, the, the international layer, I think that we have to address the basic needs of the business before we can really truly enable them to do that. Now, the flip side of that is some businesses come out the gate wanting that that kind of international reach and particularly merchandisers that are selling online and, and things like that, uh, you know, have that need fairly immediately. So I think it depends on the type of business we're talking about. The the kind of Main Street business will, will think about it differently than an online business will. But particularly in the online business, I can see a very rapid demand for an international capability there. I would also add that, uh, you know, the platform of the systems and banking, what that means is, you know, take our picture pay, for example, as I mentioned, it's not for everybody, but it is for a segment of customers and being able to provide international payments for a small segment, even if it's only 5% or some small segment, as the systems are more open and are easier to connect to, then we can meet that need, even though it is a small percentage by not not having to spend a whole lot of time developing or integrating that in. So I Absolutely. think uh, the open banking is definitely 
a way that's going to help us deliver that to that small segment that, that does want that kind of service. Yeah. Yeah. Our true customized experience, I think, better servicing niche industries, right? I think it's interesting because I've you've seen a lot of this in the past, I think, 10 years or so in the advertising space, right? And where they can really dig down and, and get into the persona of very niche you know, types of folks and, and to really deliver on exactly what it is that they need. And I think obviously banking is much more complex than that, but feeling like it can go in a similar direction where you can service those kind of niche niche customers and niche needs and and, and give them a top top class experience when they do encounter those needs. So so Ralph and Kelly, um, as we sort of start to wrap up the podcast, I would love to hear what changes you're seeing, what you think the future of the payments industry is looking like, um, and and what you're excited about to see um, in the forefront in the next couple of years here. Yeah, Kara, talking about kind of what's coming and what we see that's really bubbling up to the top and one of the highest priorities and things the industry is talking about is real-time payments. It's something... You know, in the last five years, we've been talking more and more about it. And uh, so one of the things we're doing, we're actually rolling out a real-time payment, real-time bill payment, which what that means to us is taking money from a checking account and getting it posted on the biller's system in a matter of seconds. And so that's really something everybody's chasing after. And there's lots of different technologies out there that, that have a promise of doing that. There's you know, there's the clearinghouse has a real-time payments. The Fed has a, a real-time payments. There's lots of different kind of platforms out there. And so what we're doing on the real-time payments is is using, planning on using all of those different channels or platforms to get payments to the biller. And then the ideal experience for a customer is, I just want to pay my Verizon bill and I want to pay it as quickly as I can. And so that's what we're doing is kind of tying those different platforms together and the consumer doesn't have to worry about how it's going to get there. They just need to know it's going to get there right away. And so what we believe is that's going to bring bill payment, bring a lot more users into bill payment. Today we're seeing that the users go to billers' websites sometimes to make a payment. Uh, sometimes they do that every month. Sometimes they use bill pay. And uh, so having a single place to go pay your bills and be able to get them there quickly in a matter of seconds or in real time is really kind of where we see the industry going. And all the bill pay companies are kind of going down that same path. And we we expect to be there and uh, be doing real-time payments here in the next couple of months. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah, that's uh, really, I think, it, it's amazing how quickly that real-time payments has become a dream we can actually achieve, right? <laughs> I think for the longest yeah. time, like that's never going to happen, right? But uh, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's exciting to hear that you guys are right there in the forefront of it. Yes, yes, we are. So thanks for Great. Well, thank you so much for both of you for the time today and for sharing your thoughts with our audience. We'd love to have you back on the show again in a couple of years and, and hear sort of all of the changes that, are, that have happened and all the exciting things that you, you guys have built. But, uh, but in the meantime, thanks again and, and uh, appreciate your time. And we will hopefully talk soon. Great. Thanks, Wonderful. Kara. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. 
Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.